Okay, you guys ready? Are you excited now? Good, I'm excited. Thank you, Jesus. We just ask, Holy Spirit, you increase your presence in this room. Holy Spirit, that you would just increase swirling around every single person in this room right now. Just the swirl anointing. Swirl blowout. No, I just saw God just like, almost like swirling around every single person. Hey, Steve, how you doing? We're going to pray for you again tonight. This is awesome. We're going to be a place that contends for miracles. Amen. A lot of people give up when something doesn't happen right away, and actually that's not the moment to give up. Have you ever seen that? I was talking with um, Pastor Jeff last week. Have you ever seen, there's like a meme or a cartoon that goes around, and there's this guy that he's been digging underground, and he's got this little pickaxe, and he's, he's dug down, and he's dug all this way along, and he's at this point, and it's like two inches from this cavern with, filled with all these diamonds, and he's given up and turned around and walked away. You guys seen that little meme? That is one of the worst little memes ever because that dude was just on the verge of just getting millions and millions of dollars worth of diamonds, right? And actually, that's what it looks like when we choose to give up on the promises of God, okay? Because here's the thing. You only reap the reward if you endure to the end with promises, true? And along the way, there is every temptation to give up and settle for the easy road, to walk away and say it's too hard, the price is too high, it's been a long time, I don't think the circumstances are going to allow it, and we give ourselves reasons to give up. I want to paint this picture for you for just a second, because we're going to talk about tonight how to hold on to God's promises full term. How to hold on to God's promises over your life for the full term. Because you see, most people in Christianity, the world of church, whatever you want to call it, the body of Christ, the majority of people, if you ask them and God's told them something, what that looks like, they are going to tell you, God said it, it's going to happen. True? Not true. It's not true. God's promises are invitations and opportunities to participate in agreement with God till it's fulfilled. That's why the scripture says that God has no pleasure in ones that shrink back. True? That's why the children of Israel didn't go over the Jordan the first time. Because there was an invitation and an opportunity to come into a promise, but ten spies didn't believe the promise that God himself had said. And just weeks earlier had watched the, the, the Egyptians destroy the entire army of the Egyptians, the chariots, and all the soldiers and the, and the riders just destroyed in the ocean without one Israelite sword being raised. They watched the ten plagues of God come down on Egypt and crush the will of Pharaoh to let them go. They had seen the power, unprecedented power of God matched up against all of Egypt's witchcraft and they saw the devil's power get crushed and a promise that was given to Joseph and Abraham 400 plus years earlier that they were going to be brought into their own land was moved a step closer. True? And they they saw all these major miracles and then just a little period after those miracles, which include water coming out of a rock and manna coming out of, the, out of the heavens, we see them not believing God that the promised land is theirs. And we think, you guys are idiots. True? But how many times have we done that in our lives? How many times have we let the enemy negotiate and talk us out of the promise right before breakthrough came because the enemy started applying pressure and we thought it was too hard. The enemy started giving us logical reasons to abandon what God had said. The enemy started giving us God opportunities to take another road. Oh, we're going to go there tonight a little bit. Is this okay? Because you see, we have to learn how to inherit the promises or we are going to look like schizophrenic mad people 
that are constantly changing our path and our course because we keep saying God said. And it isn't God said, it's I said. I've decided I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and it's actually got nothing to do with God. God normally speaks once. He'll just say, and he'll remind you of certain things he said at certain times, but can I just make this very clear? God is not double-minded. That's a nicer way of saying schizophrenic, how's that? God is not double-minded. Like it talks about in James. God is not double-minded at all. He is not crazy. He is 100% stable. We have to learn how to work with the king of heaven so that the promises that he's given to us will actually come into being. Because you can abort and you can sabotage the promises that God's given you. I know that might be a newsflash to some people in this room. It's a fact. You can watch it time after time after time. Let me, let me explain this a little bit. When Adam and Eve sinned, they cut covenant with God. God the Father himself walks into the garden and he begins to prophesy. Now that wasn't the first prophetic act. Actually, creation was a prophetic act. But that's a different story. But God the Father himself began to prophesy. He began to create destiny with his mouth and he spoke over humanity and he also spoke over the devil. True? He talked about the seed of the woman and he talked about the serpent. True? And so we actually saw that God's word in that moment became flesh 2,000 years ago. The word became flesh. You know where the word came? It came in Eden. That's where, that's where the word came out of God's being. It was in Eden. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Jesus lands on the earth in a manger. He is, now, now understand what I'm about to say here. Jesus, although he is born, he is still the unborn promise. Because the promise was not yet fulfilled. He became the word and dwelt among us. The word is a promise that was redemption. True? And until he rose again, that promise didn't come full term. True? That's true, isn't it? Even though he came and dwelt among us, and he, and he preached the Father, and he preached miracles, and he preached signs and wonders, and many, many believed, the promise wasn't full term until he delivered salvation. True. Is this true? I want to talk to you about three moments in the life of Jesus. Three moments in the life of Jesus real quick. He was, he was uh, tempted after he was uh, baptized by John, his cousin, John the Baptist. The Spirit, of the, God, uh, the Spirit of God led him out, the Holy Spirit led him out into the desert, and he was tempted three times by Satan, Satan himself. This is the first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Whenever God speaks promise, the devil will always be there to challenge that promise. Every time. He will, he will present himself as godly counsel, as spiritual language. Because if you notice, every temptation that the devil used was spiritual language. True? True? Jesus, he didn't try and get Jesus in his carnality. He tried to get Jesus with spiritual language. And so Satan turned up and he tried to negotiate with the Son of God to denounce the promise being fulfilled and take the easy road. Jesus understood from a very young age the magnitude and the weight that his destiny would ultimately bring. Did you notice that nowhere did Jesus talk about himself being a celebrity? Nowhere did Jesus talk about himself becoming famous. Jesus did not have, if we're honest about it, a huge excitement about his destiny as far as Calvary goes. It does say for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame, but he had to walk through pain, suffering, rejection, and, and, and humiliation and shame to get to the place of joy. Okay? So, 
This is just a classic debunking moment right now, is that some of the promises that God has over your life are not glamorous. And they're actually going to cause you to have to walk out seasons that are not easy. But there's always beauty on the other side of obedience. There's always reward when you stick out, even in moments of humiliation, even in moments of shame, even in moments where God has asked you to look bad. He's asked, Jeff was with me once, and I, we were driving, we're actually in the island of Hawaii, and Jesus spoke to me real clearly. I was driving the car, we were driving from a meeting back to our hotel room, we were on our way to another nation, and the Lord said to me, it was Jesus himself, he said, are you prepared to look bad for me in order for things to get better? And I said, yes, Jesus, what, what does that mean? And then Jesus doesn't respond. Thank you, Jesus. You just baited me, and you got me. You see, the thing is, is that God is not as interested in your comfort levels as you've been taught. He's interested in your destiny. And he's interested in the potency of what your obedience will birth in the earth. It's not about what it looks like. It's not about the results. Because if we believe modern Christianity and that's the way Jesus lived on the earth, he would have never gone to the cross because it would have looked like a bad Facebook post. Okay. <laughs> I like this because we actually need to destroy the temples of man and we need to honor the temple of God. And we actually need to go back to the old paths and figure out how God actually likes things and go that road. Otherwise, we're going to end up 40, 50, 60, 70 years old and we're going to be down a broken mechanism that never worked and we're going to despair that our walk with God never bore the fruit that we were told about when we were young. There is a way that seems right to a man, but you have to find the way of God for it to work. Does this make sense? Because a promise without the right mechanism will be a disappointment. So Jesus, he is standing in front of Satan who turned up to talk him down. And Satan, you've got to look at what Satan did. Look at what Satan tried to do. Hey, Jesus, turn these rocks into bread because you're hungry. Now, Jesus answered, you know, he answered using Scripture. But you have to understand that he was also thinking, I'm not going to turn something into food now because I'm destined to turn loaves and fishes to feed thousands. It's the low road. It's the easy road. It's the one you can reach. It's the one you can touch. It's the one you can easily do in your giftings that will catch you because it's the same gifting. It's just not the same road. Does this make sense? You can, and then, and then Satan took him and said, hey, just, just bow down in front of me. Kiss my feet, Jesus, and I'll give you all of this. And you know what he was really saying? Now, I don't, we can get all weird about it. I don't know if Jesus, if the devil really knew that Jesus was Jesus and that he was actually going to go to the cross. But look at this, because Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross. He, he was like, Bow down and kiss my feet, and I'll give you all of this so you don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. So you don't have to go the hard road, because we like the easy road, us Christians, don't we? We like to find the shortcuts. We like to find the fast tracks. We like to have the front of line pass at Disneyland in our walk with God, and actually it doesn't work like that. The ways of God take time. It doesn't... People hear promises from God, and they're like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to be in ministry next week. I remember the day, that, the day that God told me, and it was through this really accurate prophet, and I was young in God, and he said, you're going to meet your wife real soon, and I was just like on edge. I literally stepped out of that guy's house, and I'm like, is she outside? Like, this is honestly me just brand new in the prophetic. And I was like, is she going to be at church? Is she going to be down the street? Right? And, and you just get this eager beaver thing on you that's like, oh man, this is amazing. It's like, dude, years later, over 10 years later, I marry my wife. Because your soon and God's soon are two very different things. And when we assume to define timelines for God, 
we set ourselves up to be angry at him for disappointing us when it was never him. It was that we chose to define what he was saying rather than find out what he was saying. Does this make sense? And so Jesus bypassed, Satan tried to offer Jesus a bypass to the cross, which would have ended up enslaving Jesus because how can godly holiness bow down to pure sin? Does this make sense? And so then he took him on to the final one where he took him to the top of the temple. And he said, jump off this temple. And the scriptures say that has not God commanded his angels concerning you that they will catch you lest your feet dash against the rock, right? Jesus had to descend from his temple, his body in earth, down into the inner parts of the earth, right? We know this. The devil took him through a very, I'd never seen this before until a little while back when the Holy Spirit told me. The devil took him through a systematic temptation that actually paralleled with the journey Jesus was going to walk. Do you see this? And the devil will try and negotiate you, and he will get you in a moment where if your intellect and reason can be appealed to, he will try to throw you off. And you'll never achieve what, you're, what you've actually been called to do. That's why the Bible says, guys, many are called, few are chosen. What that, let, me, let me say that for you differently. Many are given promises, few inherit. Do you get this? That's why we need to become wise stewards. That's why, like Paul said, study to show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed. How could you be ashamed not understanding a book? Because if you don't understand the ways of God, you will miss the paths of God and your life can end up in shipwreck and thus shame. True. Okay. So we see that with Jesus. This is the first instance that the devil tried to throw off the promise. He was the son of promise, true? Like Isaac. He was a parallel to Isaac. He was the son of promise. He was the word made flesh, which was ultimately... My rescue, your rescue. My redemption, your redemption. My salvation, your salvation. And then he goes along, and you can actually see that, that uh, Jesus was tempted via the devil through his closest, one of his closest friends. He's telling everyone that he's going go, to go to uh, the cross, he's going to die, and everyone's going to leave him. And then Peter stands up, you know, Peter was the tough dude. Peter stands up and he goes, don't do it, God. We'll never let that happen. Jesus, you don't have to do this. You're, you're too good. You're too powerful. Don't forget, it's the same, the same group of friends that were, trying to, that were figuring that he was maybe the one that was going to start a rebellion against the Roman Empire. The, the, the same, you know what I mean? They totally misinterpreted the promise. You've got to get that. They misinterpreted the intention of God sending Jesus. They thought he was a general that was going to raise an army. That's actually, for the most part of the time that Jesus was with them, that's what they figured was going to happen. Isn't it amazing how the promise of God can be right in front of us and we've got an idea of what it is and it's actually nothing to do with that. And then we wake up down the track and it's like, oh, I was a real dummy. I was trying to figure it out. And it isn't like that at all. It's just this whole other thing. And God walks you into a process and he hides details from you because if you knew everything, you wouldn't need faith. And faith is the only substance in your being that can please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. True? We also know that the scriptures say that it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Without faith, God doesn't have pleasure in walking you into the fulfillment of your promise. True. So Jesus has this moment where his best friend, one of his best friends, and his, his student disciple tried to talk him down. And that's why he answered... Because he, answered, he understood where that voice came from. He said, shh, quiet, Satan. Get out of here. Get behind me. You're an offense to me. You know why that Jesus used the word offense? Because the devil was trying to build a bypass around the cross. He was trying to distract Jesus from walking the path. Please understand that God is going to take you down roads that are not the picture-perfect white picket fence Christianity. You might think they are when God tells you the promise, but as it starts to unfold, it's going to begin to look different because God has on purpose withheld details from you 
Because if you knew all the details, you would have said, "Mm -mm -mm. nope, I love you, Jesus, but mm -mm -mm, nope. True? Who's who's experienced that before? That's why they call him Jehovah Sneaky. It's not one of his official names, but that's how he is. He's very, very good at getting us to go down roads that we would have never agreed to prior to that. I can honestly say that's the truth. God is a master vision caster. He is a master vision caster. He shows you where you're going. He shows you a glimpse of where you're going, but he doesn't always explain how you're going to get there. And he doesn't explain fully what that's going to look like either. He just gives you a glimpse. He lets you look through a little tiny peek hole, and you get like this tiny little cup, like three, four pixels, but you don't get the thousands of pixels that make up the rest of the mural. He gives you just enough to let faith arise and just enough promise where you start saying, I need to move towards this. I need to move towards this because I really feel that God's pulling me in this direction. And sometimes it will be areas that God actually is telling you that are really exciting. And sometimes it'll be areas where it's like, this is kind of freaking me out, God. I know it's you. I'm going to be obedient. This is freaking me out. And see, that's where we actually have to start realizing that we actually are not our own bosses or our own gods. We worship and we have given our lives to a master, a king. Does this make sense? So that's the second time. You see, you have to, what you have to try and realize here is that the devil is going to, especially with anything to do with your destiny, I'm talking about life destiny stuff, he is going to try and throw you off. Because if he can throw you off, the fruit, the eternal fruit on the other side of your promise being fulfilled can be delayed or sabotaged. True? People, people hear that scripture... God works all things together for good to those that love him and accord according to his purpose. That's true. And you might be rescued from the fire, but you might not get the reward. Does this make sense? Okay, where was I? Yeah, and so then the third time we see that actually Jesus, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and everything in his being doesn't want to go to the cross. Do you guys realize this? Because we're taught that Jesus, he actually came and willingly went to the cross. Actually, his will was not involved. The Father's will was involved. And because the Father's will was involved, a.k.a. promise slash destiny, Jesus submitted his will to that. I'll rephrase that. Jesus' will was involved, but it wasn't the driving force. It was actually what the Father requested, and Jesus came under that. See, we've been taught that everything's going to be fun and everything's going to be great. And da, 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 da. Well, how, do you, how do you fit that story into there? Right? Oh, you've got a destiny, you've got a purpose. Sometimes it makes me cringe when Christians talk like that. I mean, I, I talk like that too, but sometimes it makes me cringe because I'm like, you're, just, you're trying to sell with all the candy cotton stuff, a cotton candy, and you're not actually telling people the real, like, what's going to happen to get you there. Like, you know, I've had people come up to me, they're like, I've got a huge call on my life. I'm like, calm down, it's about to get bumpy. Because you don't understand how much preparation you're going to go through. If you claim to have a massive call, you don't understand the massive preparation that's coming yet. And it's good, you just need to hold on. It's not that anyone's trying to put you off. But sometimes people haven't been told what that looks like. Does this make sense? That's why, that's why Paul had to say, do not think it a strange thing when various trials and tribulations come your way, don't you understand it's for the testing of your faith? So you can have endurance and perseverance and patience and long-suffering. The things that actually matter. Not the hypey vision cast that people try and do about their own personal destiny. What matters is actually obedience and submission and sacrifice. Because if you're truly going to get to where God's called you to be, it's going to look like that. Now, can I ask a question? Single people. We're just going to pick on single people for a second. Single people, who's had a prophetic word that you're going to get married? Hands right up in the air, really high. Come on, actually stand up. Stand up. If you've had a prophetic word that you're going to be married, come on, every single person in here. Come on. Has God ever spoken to you? Has God ever given you scripture? Has God ever given you dreams? Has God ever had a prophet give you a word? I see you down there. That's awesome. Come on, stand up seriously. Has God ever spoken to you? Even people that are dating right now, just honestly, this is, this is more of a point. 
Come on, Angela, you're getting married. For real. Okay. Let me just get a good, good landscape on this here. Okay, cool. Okay, you guys can sit down. I'm just going to save that for later. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> gotcha. I had to get you now, so then later on, you know, we can go down that road. Every prophetic promise is an opportunity to partner with God. It is an invitation to a journey. It is not your receipt that you just purchased something on Amazon and it's on the way. That might be a shock to you, but it's actually the truth. There is certain things when God speaks, things shift straight away. Okay? But I'm talking about destiny prophetic invitations right now. Promises about your future. For instance, your callings. I'm going to be an evangelist that shakes the world. I'm going to get community saved. Father, I just thank you for the journey right now. In Jesus' name, I just thank you for mercy, and I thank you that there's going to be just a download of grace and learning that happens over this next season. Okay? Because that is the initiation. And agreeing with God is really important. But not just agreeing with him at first. Because actually, it's when you've, it's when the hype of this news of an invitation has started to settle down in your spirit and you're two years in and all hell is breaking loose and you feel like quitting. Or when God sent you to the other side of the world and everything is against you. Everything is against you. Now your reputation's being damaged and people get up and leave or, you know, like people become hostile or, you know, the local witches get aggressive toward whatever that looks like. Your finances dry up. Whatever that looks like, guys. That's the moment when you've just entered the classroom test. And actually, it's time to hold on to the promise. Because, guys, we have to realize that when God makes a promise, it actually is not promised to our emotions. It is not given to your emotional state. It is given to your spirit being. Does that make sense? Because your emotions, the second things get difficult, finances, people, relationships, hostility, hardships, discouragement. Oh, here's another really good one. It hasn't happened yet. I've been waiting for five years and it hasn't happened. Shut up, emotions. Just shut up. You're not helping anybody. You are trying to partner with the devil and talk me out of the blessing. Does this make sense? Your emotions will rob and steal from you every single time. You have to stop believing that your emotions are as important. Now, I'm not talking about feelings. I'm talking about your emotions that actually try and go negatively rogue on you. I'm not saying it's, not a, I'm not saying it's bad to be happy. That's not what I'm saying. So please don't like get all twisted on me. I've got to be careful with some of you because some of you are like, did you hear what he just said? He said we couldn't be happy. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying your feelings, when you're driven emotively, where you don't have self-discipline, self-control, determination, faith, endurance, longevity, godly stubbornness, that takes a promise and says, I will not leave. I will not bow. I will not move until I see what God has said come into my hands. Come on, this can go for jobs. It can go for marriages. It can go for anything. I mean, okay, now, now we're just going to revisit this. Single people, those of you that had prophetic words that you'd be married, who has had feelings like I might never be married? Honestly, hands up. All those, now come on, hands up. So all the single people that put their hands up before that you've had a word or you feel like the Lord's spoken to you that you're going to be married, who's had feelings that have said, I'm never going to be married? I'll never be good enough. Come on, let's be really honest right now. I'll never be married. No one will ever be good enough for me. I won't ever be good enough for anyone else. Come on, hands right up. I have to start rebuking folks. You get what I'm saying? Because here's the thing. You guys put your hands down now. Thank you. Here's the thing. 
the environment will always challenge the promise. Don't you know that God thrives when there's darkness to create light? Do you think that if God gave you a promise that was right in front of you already, that that would cause him to get glory because it was already easy? Or do you think that actually God likes speaking into things that are not as though they are? God needs nothing in order to create something. Unlike us, we need something to, make, to have it to make sense. True? Because you guys are like, well, there's no one in this church that I like. It's never going to happen. Listen, you need to tell your feelings to shut up. Because if you truly worship the king of heaven, then God can have, in the right time, because here's sometimes what, what, here's the thing. We sometimes really overvalue and overestimate ourselves. We tell ourselves that we're ready and prepared. Like, here, I'll take it out of the dating realm so no one gets too offended with me. Although I give you permission to be offended as long as you get it right before you leave. Because I'm actually challenging your emotions right now. And I'm trying to encourage your spirit. Because if you get what I'm saying, you're going to actually start seeing inheritance take place on a better level. You're going to start seeing that you're going to start obtaining things that actually start lasting. Because a lot of the times we don't actually inherit because we actually have a bad attitude. Do you remember the children of Israel? Their murmuring and complaining displeased God. Do you remember? They murmured and complained against God in the desert. And it displeased him. Can you imagine being the sons of Korah in the desert that started a revolution and a rebellion against Moses and the earth literally opened up and swallowed them when they could have been walking across a river? Could you imagine from the eternal realm? It's like, dude, I was totally the dude in that meme. We were right on the edge of going into that cavern of diamonds and we got swallowed up by the ground. See, none of us want to have those experiences. And some of us have actually sabotaged certain things. Here's the awesome part. God is the redeemer of time and he will bring the Jordan back around even if you've missed it in seasons past. Because even though they missed it, God is still faithful. And watch this. Numbers chapter 13, verse 19, God is not a man, so he does not lie. It is impossible for God to lie. We look at God through a fallible lens that's like, here, maybe God missed it. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I didn't get, maybe I've sinned and God doesn't like me anymore. Hello. Hello. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Come on, we need to get past this. Because that's actually just the voice of condemnation trying to disqualify ourselves. It's trying to take your courage away. Okay. God is not a man that he should lie. He is, he is not human. He does not change his mind. That double-minded thing again? God doesn't do that. He doesn't change his mind. If God has said it to you, you can take it to the bank. As long as you're prepared to walk obediently and walk out the promises of God. If you don't faint, you will inherit. Amen? Okay, so. I want to read a scripture real quick. You can come with me to Hebrews chapter 6, please. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation... Though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have sown towards his name. That's one aspect. That's one aspect where we really can truly believe that God's forgotten us. And you actually have to realize that God is 100% the same God is 100% the same as the second he spoke the promise to you. You guys get what I'm saying? 
I know there's distractions going on. Just stay with me. Okay? God has not changed his attitude, his opinion, or his gesture of a promise towards you. God is dead serious about getting you to your destiny, getting the promise to you. He just needs you to walk down the road so that you inherit. Now, I'm going to remind you the scripture I just mentioned before. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. True? That means, now, I'm going to just say it like this so we get it. God has pre-designed our lives, which we can see in Jeremiah 29, 11. He set out a plan for us. And it gives God pleasure when we arrive at the markers. And the pleasure he gets because he wants to bless your life. He is not trying to drag you in obedience. He is trying to push you towards promise. We get this. Because inside of you is the seeds of destiny and they will be realized when you enter seasons that you were made for. But sometimes there is actually, actually every time there's a qualification process of getting there. And we actually need to humble ourselves because he is God and I'm a man. I'm going to let my words be few and stop acting like a little spoiled brat and having a tantrum and I'm going to submit to God and be obedient and I'm going to try and walk this thing out. I'm going to keep... Now look, everyone has bad attitude days. Everyone has the days where I don't see how this is going to work. Everyone has the days where it's like, this is just, everything has come against me. I have no idea how this could ever be a reality. Can I give you a really good piece of advice? Take your fingers, see one finger, index finger, and one thumb. See that? This is a real spiritual piece of advice right now. And just do that. Be quiet. Do not let the words come out of your mouth. Because... You were made with the same creative mouth that God, your Father, DNA, spiritually the same, has. And you can actually speak death over promises. Don't you understand? That's why John the Baptist's father, who was the high priest, was made mute when he disagreed with God's decision. Because he was standing in such a high spiritual role that God struck him mute because of the power of the authority in his mouth had over that whole situation. That's why he went mute. So powerful. We have to be so careful that it's like, oh God, doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. If you're going to say that, you actually just need to get real good at disciplining yourself. Go stand in front of the mirror and say, be quiet unless you're going to speak faith. Because any other language isn't going to get to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That means when you don't have faith, you're displeasing God. And when you're displeasing God, you're getting further from the promise rather than further than closer to it. True? Okay, good. I'm going to wrap this up in a second. I've only got a couple of minutes to go. There's so much more I could say. Okay, where was I going here? Okay. I'm going to start again. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany, verse 9, salvation through, though we speak in this manner. Verse 10, for God is not unjust to forget your work of labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. I just want to speak that over Jeff and Bex right now. God has not forgotten what you do. God has not forgotten the labor and the service that you do for him even though sometimes people overlook it. Verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same... Now watch this, guys. Everyone look at me. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. If the Bible says this, that he, having put his hand to the plow, which is the object with which they till fields, right? They, they plow with a big blade into the field and they, they, they tear up the ground so that it's fertile. He who has, having put his hand to the plow and turning back from it is not fit for the kingdom. People that say, yes, I'm going to do this and then no, I'm not going to do this, that's not kingdom culture. Do you understand that? People that say, let me put that in a different package for you. People that say, God's told me to do this, and I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. And then they go, no, God's told me to do this. Not kingdom culture. Do you understand that? 
That's why you know, that's what it says in Proverbs. So be very careful not to commit anything as holy unto the Lord and then later reconsider your vows. But when God has spoken to you, you need to be bound by your words so that you don't have the ability to try and somehow in your, your mindset unlock the thing you've covenanted yourself to, a.k.a. the promise of God. For instance, now I'm going to bring it back, single people. If God has told you that you are going to be married, how dare you say out of your mouth that you're never going to be married? Right? How dare you let something come out of your mouth that challenges God that his goodness doesn't apply to you anymore? I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm just trying to get everyone to realize it's like, no, 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 no. If God has said it, I am going to stay faithful until it happens. And I will not let any other option be a valid thing for me where I can't choose anything else. I will not look to the left or right. I'm only going to have this. Does this make sense? We can't allow ourselves to have options. We've been taught that we have options, and that's not actually the truth. Once God has given you a promise, you're a bondservant to that. And guess what? It's for your own good, but sometimes the journey will be difficult. Is this okay? I know this is definitely not, you know, a, a Sunday ice cream with a banana split on the side. I get that, but this is actually the stuff that's going to cause you to grow up and start to inherit the promises. The stuff doesn't get taught as much as it should, but it needs to be taught. That's why there's so many flaky Christians that next every six months they're telling you the next thing they're doing with their life. It's like, I'm sick of hearing that. And that's why you look at their lives 10, 15 years later, and it's like, well, they've gone back to the world because they figured out that wasn't working, and they blamed God. I've been around long enough to see the cycle now. This is how it works. You either bind yourself to a master, or you become your own. Once you've bound yourself, you throw the keys away, and that's it. You don't have the right to uproot yourself anymore. Feel the Holy Ghost. Just saying. I'm just saying. If God's, if God's given you promises, like for instance, look, I understand if God's promised you about finances and it's really hard in your finances, look, hold on, God is coming through. Stop being Debbie, there's no Debbies here, right? Stop being Debbie Downer. I hope there's no Debbies, grace and mercy over the Debbies right now. Stop being a Downer in regards to, oh, it's not working out for me, maybe God's forgotten me. no. Don't you think in the very area that God's called you to, that's the area that the devil's going to challenge you on? Come on, guys. Why did the devil challenge Jesus in the wilderness? Because he was a threat. Because the devil was mystified with this powerful being that was walking the earth in human flesh. With obviously an intent mission. Very focused. He watched him when he was 12 in the temple, teaching the Pharisees who'd been studying it from birth. Right? And he turned up to try and sabotage the promise. And that's the moment that you have to become. Like, like honestly, you see some of these movies and you see like spies or soldiers get captured and they get taken into the enemy's barracks and they start saying, what are you doing? What's the plans? And they just look at them. My name's Andrew Billings. I'm this rank and that's my badge number. That's all you get. I ain't giving you nothing. And actually, we need to start being like that. We need to actually start having a tenacity in us that becomes so defiant. Can I say this? Stubbornness is a terrible thing. Unless it becomes a wonderful thing, being stubborn about the right thing. If you find a stubborn person that's actually got the wrong uh, belief system, they're almost impossible to help. A stubborn person that believes the wrong thing or values the wrong thing or, or has, has issues in their mind, they're very, very difficult to help. But a stubborn person that has taken that wild horse and has harnessed it and bridled it to the king is an unmovable city that the enemy cannot shake and will inherit promises if you just hold on long enough. That's why, that, that's, look, honestly, this is, this is, I'm enjoying this right now. I'm just kicking on the devil right now because here's the thing. If we can get breakthrough in this, we can actually start moving forward finally. That's why it says, Write the word down on a tablet and send a runner with it. Why? Because if you don't mark it, if you don't record it, see, like my phone is full of prophetic words. I record them and I write them down. And I revisit them and I revisit them and I revisit them. And especially when the enemy's knocking, you know what I do? Devil is written. 
devil, haven't you heard what God has said? Isn't it awesome? Doesn't God love me? And I understand that you are just having a really great time in your mind trying to mess with me right now, but guess what? I'm just going to wait this a little bit longer, and God's going to give me the promise that you've been terrified about me getting. And when I get it, I'm coming for you. Come on. The reason, see, see, we understand how clean the Jewish people were, right? The Israelites were so clean. Everything, you can go through the book of Leviticus, everything, you have to wash your hands, you have to do this, you have to do that. You have to, everything has to be so clean. There's the different lavers and the bowls and the different courts. David kills a giant, an unclean, uncircumcised Philistine, cuts his head off and sticks it in the temple. Do you understand that in the perspective of how clean those peeps were? Do you know why? Because he went into the holy place before his God with his requests. And he points at an old dead head. And he says, you've been my God there in my past. Be my God today. I have new challenges today, God. I need the God that killed Goliath to slay my problems of today. And that is why we have to build track records. And we, have, we cannot be like the Israelites who watched the ten plagues and who watched the, the Red Sea open up and make a pathway while fire held the, 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 the Egyptian army back and then destroyed them in the ocean. Water came from the rock. Manna came out of heaven, even quails. And yet they didn't believe him in, in, in a moment where a small river had to be walked across and some giants had to be killed. We have to get that in our heads because we're the same. God does amazing miracles and provision. He does breakthroughs for us. He rebukes the devil. And then we come up to the next thing and we freak out and we've forgotten everything he's done in the past. That's why it says that we have to count our blessings. That little song, you know, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And that might sound like a silly little song, but it's actually such a powerful thing that if a few less mature Christians started actually paying attention to, there'd start being a few more mature Christians around. Because when the new Goliath of today shows up to you and starts to challenge the promise in front of you, you don't get terrified like the entire Israelite army did. You turn around and you begin to see the track record of everything that God has done in your past. And then from that, you turn around like David and said, God was with me when I slayed the lion, and my God was with me when I slayed the bear, and now, you dirty, filthy, rotten thing, I'm going to cut your head off. We need to think like that. Because without celebrating what God has done, we easily forget and we default on the promises of today. Does this make sense? So we have to remember what God's done. We have to build a track record. We have to become determined and tenacious and stubborn. We have to take the boundaries off God, point three, where we define when God's supposed to do things. Here's a classic Christian fallacy. Oh, it's 11.59 and God's about to come. Listen, dude, sometimes Jesus comes at 4 a.m. And you thought he, you told everyone he was going to turn up at midnight, and you're wrong. What if it doesn't all go perfectly? What if things fall apart temporarily? Will you still believe he's your king? Or will you curse him? Go read the book of Job. Jesus didn't show up at 11.59. He showed up at 11.59 the next day. You get what I'm saying? We need to take off the diapers and the training wheels, and we actually need to start growing up. Because God has not made a mistake in what he's told you. If God's told you, whatever it be, about your health, about your finances, about relationships, about uh, your job, about your career, about your calling, your ministry, God has not, he's not in any way, uh, in any form of uh, illusion or, or, or some kind of mirage, or God's not all of a sudden drunk. Does this make sense? God is an architect. He is the grand master planner of the universe. And if he can do that for the universe, he's actually got your life pretty well under control. The second you try and take control, that's when things get bumpy. You need to trust the process of God and walk it out. Does this make sense? See, we actually need to cross over and start inheriting. And that might not look like some glamorous conference that everyone steps out of all pumped up. That might look like you remembering this message in two years' time when the devil has come to challenge the promise in your life. Because he never comes when everything's great. He comes when you've forgotten the promise that was given. That's why Paul said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, 
wage a good warfare with the prophecies given to you when the elders laid hands on you. See, if, if you're thinking that I'm not being scriptural, there's so many scriptures. I could literally just pull one scripture out after another. Timothy, wage a good warfare. Why would you need to wage a warfare with something God's already given me? Oops. Apparently you do. Apparently you need to fight into the promised land, just like God did symbolically with the children of Israel. Maybe, just maybe, that God hasn't made it easy for you because if you got it easy, you'd just be a giant, grown up spoiled brat that has all the promises of God and I've just had a great life story and I'm just one of the God's OC housewives for Jesus. Do you get what I'm saying? They crossed, they crossed the Canaan, okay? And then they had to kill giants. They had to take down fortified cities. Do you know why? Is because that process, Cameron, was the very thing that qualified them to stand in the promise and not just touch it. God is not going to give you anything easy, guys. He's going to cause you to earn the thing that he's promised. He's going to mature you in the process. But the process, look, a lot of people say, I I literally heard someone say, which totally shocked me. He goes, oh, don't think it's not about the journey. It's always about the destination because God understands that we're reward-driven. And I agree in part. But don't think for a second that God doesn't understand that a promise will cause you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death like David did. Because it's that place where faith's built, not the great, oh, God gave me a breakthrough and someone blessed me with a house. Do you really think that's going to grow you up? Or do you think believing God when you haven't got a house is going to grow you up? Or when you almost can't pay your rent and you're not sure how you're going to make it? Or when you don't know how to buy groceries? Or when it's been five, ten years and it's like, hey, man, I really want to get married. And I just don't feel like God's doing anything right now, but I'm not going to let that come out my mouth. I am going to have a husband, Molly. Not me. The same one of those churches. Facebook Live. Oh, God, help me. Do you get what I'm saying? You can't let stuff come out of you. You have to be so tenacious with it where you defy the circumstances. Do you understand why David was so, he was so emphatically confident that that Goliath was going to die? Because he had these crazy promises when Samuel anointed him. He knew he was going to be king. So how could he die? Does that make sense? Thank you, Jesus. Okay, did someone get something tonight? Awesome. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus.